Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey there, welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm Robin Goble. I'm your toast. I'm so grateful to have you here. I am so grateful for the opportunity to connect with you and... I take so seriously the time that you spend choosing to pop in your earbuds or hook up the podcast player to your car and connect with me in this way. Your time is so, so, so valuable. And I'm so grateful that this is how you're choosing to spend the next half hour or so. We're going to talk today about the stress response system. 
And not just the stress response system, but how is the stress response system related to our kids' behaviors? The stress response system is, for me, is is one more piece of the behavior puzzle. We talked last month about memory and how memory is related to behavior. We talked so much about felt safety and about connection and about regulation and how all these different processes are underneath what we see on the outside, right? Which is our child's behavior. And I am a really big proponent of looking on looking at the underneath, right? Like it's so important to me that we spend time considering like what's really going on here. Because I think that's our path to figuring out how to solve what the real problem is. I don't think I've talked about the stress response system on the podcast yet. I definitely talk about it a lot in the club and in being with. And as I was crafting, you know, my podcast schedule for the rest of the year, I was like, oh, I don't think I've talked about the stress response system. And that is, that's a big one. So if we're going to talk about the stress response system, we have to give a little nod to, not just a little nod, a huge nod to Dr. Bruce Perry. Dr. Bruce Perry is where I learned the language stress response system. And it isn't language that's just unique to his work, but that is where I was first introduced to the concept of the stress response system. Dr. Perry is just a global leader and researching the impact of, of, of trauma and helping to create actionable solutions, right? Like more than just researching it, he is, you know, a leader. And so what do we do about it? How do we address it? And also how do we prevent it? So if you're not familiar with Dr. Perry's work, highly recommend checking it out. His most recent book was co-authored with um, Oprah Winfrey, which it might sound a little odd, but it's actually amazing because what it, it did is take y'all this really important topic of early childhood trauma and toxic stress and adverse um, childhood experiences and brought it to the the bigger mainstream population with his collaboration with Oprah Winfrey. The book is super readable. So definitely go check it out if you haven't already. It's called What Happened to You. To get started with the stress response system, let's first define what stress even is. In the book, What Happened to You, Dr. Perry defines stress as a demand on one or more of our body's many physiological systems. That's it. A demand on one or more of our body's many physiological systems. So notice in that definition, uh, there isn't, you know, stress is bad or stress is good or, you know, stress can be all of those things. Stress isn't inherently bad, but it can become damaging. And we'll look at how and why. So stressors. What's a stressor? Well, I mean, life is full of stressors. Being hungry puts, you know, stress on the body. Exercising puts stress on the body, right? Attachment ruptures, falling out of synchrony and connection and attunement 
causes stress, right? So there's so many different kinds of stress. And again, these things are not bad, right? Like hunger, for example, hunger is a super important sensation to experience, right? We need to know that it's time to refuel our bodies. Exercise can be really good for us if the stress of exercising happens in a manner in which it promotes growth instead of, you know, is harmful. Attachment ruptures, same thing. Attachment ruptures aren't inherently bad. In fact, the rupture repair experience is crucial for secure attachment. Attachment ruptures aren't bad, but they do cause stress. And the stress helps us see like, hey, something's going on here that we need to tend to, right? Stress in and of itself isn't bad. It is a moment or a lot of moments of kind of causing this shift out of balance in our nervous system. It leads to some discomfort or distress. But again, that's not bad. Comfort or distress is information to us that says, hey, something's wrong and we need to tend to it. Stress is just a thing that's going to happen in life. It's it's not avoidable, so we don't want to try to avoid it. But I also think it's nice to notice how stress is really important. Like stress can stress is a really crucial part of of growth and just a really important part of being human. So so stress in and of itself is not bad. But obviously some is. So what's the difference? Like what makes some stress bad? Not just bad in the moment, but but damaging to the developing brain. And what Dr. Perry's research tells us is that what distinguishes pattern, what what distinguishes stress from whether it's um, experienced as a positive experience or like a negative destructive experience is the pattern of that stress. How is the stress experienced? What's the pattern that the stress is experienced in? And so he says that when stress is experienced in a manner that is predictable, reliable, and controllable, then the stress can stimulate growth without injury. It's when this pattern of the stress becomes unpredictable, extreme, or prolonged, that's Dr. Perry's words, that's when stress becomes damaging or destructive. So when we experience a stressor, again, whether it's something that's predictable, reliable, controllable, or unpredictable, extreme, or prolonged, when we experience a stress what happens next is our stress response system. Now, the physiological underpinnings of our stress response system goes is just really not necessary for us to understand. It's a complex interplay of chemicals and hormones and behaviors, right? Think about what happens in fight or flight, right? That's a response to stress, right? So our, you know, cortisol and adrenals and, you know, we've, we get energy in our arms and our legs. That's a response to stress. Not all of our stress responses, it's fight or flight. That's just one example. So stress response is simply like, what happens next? Like, what does our body do in reaction 
to that stress. And how is that underneath? How is that related to our kids' behaviors? I think to really understand how it's related to our kids' behaviors, we have to understand how the stress response system is like developed and nurtured in those first earliest months, months of life, and how those experiences in those first couple months of life do impact our now 7, 12, 18-year-old and ourselves. Right? How do we respond when we're confronted or faced with some sort of stressor? And it can be a small stressor, like, like for example, the stress of the fact that this is the third time I've recorded this podcast because something has gone wrong the first two times. Um, that was those are stressors, right? How does my body react and respond to those stressors? It could be a stressor as simple as like, man, I was really looking forward to that leftover pizza for dinner. And when I go to eat it, I discover somebody else has already eaten it. That's a stress, right? And I know y'all are living with people who have very sensitive, vulnerable stress response systems. And you're seeing that because of behavior that you would call um, just like low frustration tolerance, kind of constant freaking out, can't handle, just can't handle anything, can't handle being told no, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. All of that, all of those behaviors are about having a really fragile or vulnerable or sensitized stress response system. So we grow and strengthen our stress response system pretty similar to how we would grow or strengthen like any muscle. So I've run a couple half marathons in my life. And in order to be able to run 13.1 miles without getting hurt, I needed to prepare for that. I needed to intentionally stress my body during a training cycle so that when I was confronted with the stress of running the race, I could manage and be okay, right? And so a training cycle is about creating an experience of predictable, reliable, and controllable stress, right? And there has to be enough stress in that training training cycle that I'm growing my muscles, I'm growing, you know, I'm, I'm growing the strength in my legs, I'm growing my cardiovascular system, right? So when I would, you know, start a half marathon training cycle, I would look at, well, what am I currently capable of? Let's start there. And every week, let's add a little bit more. Every week, that long run got a little bit longer. And then some weeks we'd pull back, right? And decrease the, decrease the longer runs. And so every, every week, putting more stress on my body with the intention of growing it, but not too much stress that I got hurt. And ultimately, race day came and I was able to complete a half marathon without getting hurt. Now, the other options are um, not training, right? And just showing up for 13.1 miles, which I know some people do. I would never be able to do that. That would be way too much stress on my body, on my bones, on my muscles, on my cardiovascular system, everything. It'd be just way too much stress. I certainly get hurt and without question would be completely miserable. 
because the stress of running 13.1 miles without a good training cycle leading up to it would be considered extreme and prolonged, right? And then I would get hurt. And the other option is to not stress my body enough, right? And if I was like, oh, I'd like to run a half marathon in a couple months, every day from now until then, I will run one mile. That's a lot of running. And then on race day, I'll go run 13.1 miles, right? That, that I didn't stress my body enough, right? The one mile every day just wasn't enough stress. And so there was no, there was no growth, and and no growth in my ability to tolerate feeling uncomfortable, right? That's another important muscle to grow, right? The ability to tolerate feeling uncomfortable. So quote unquote, good stress, stress that helps, you know, leads itself to resiliency and the stress response system is stress that's predictable, reliable, and controllable, Whereas unpredictable, unpredictable, extreme or prolonged stress leads to a overactive and reactive stress response system. So that's a stress response system that's making a lot of mountains out of teeny tiny little molehills, right? Like teeny tiny little stressors are causing huge, enormous watchdog brain or big possum brain responses, right? Certainly an impaired stress response system is impairing regulation and it's leaving a nervous system kind of in the default setting of danger, danger, like believing everything is dangerous. There is no felt safety. And we've talked so much on the podcast about how impaired regulation and, and that, that felt safety default being kind of stuck in danger, danger, how that impacts behavior. So the stress response system is largely developed in those earliest months of life in utero. And again, those, those early, early months of life where the, the developing infant really needs to have predictable, reliable, and controllable experiences of stress, right? That means you know, feeling hungry, maybe not getting fed just quite as quickly as they'd like, right? But so a little bit of stress, but not too much. Or the inevitable attachment disruptions that happen when parenting a teeny tiny baby, right? That babies need predictable, reliable, and controllable experiences of stress, followed up by repair and co-regulation to really grow and strengthen that stress response system. Dr. Perry has a quote that I think is so important. I'm just going to read the quote to you that really hits home the impact of trauma, toxic stress, adversity in those earliest months of life. So in the book, What Happened to You, he writes, the experiences of the first two months of life have a disproportionately important impact on long-term health and development. This has to do with the remarkably rapid growth of the brain early in life and the organization of those all-important core regulatory networks. I think that when we're really in the trenches of hard, hard, hard parenting, it can feel very confusing how experiences in the first two months of our child's life or of ours could be so impactful. 
Um, but w- what we learned, right, in the memory series last month, that without question, babies' experiences matter and they're encoded into their memory networks and contribute to the strength and resilience of the stress response system. It's laying our, again, our core regulatory networks. It's setting the foundation for being somebody who feels safe in the world versus somebody who doesn't feel very safe in the world. These early, early, early life experiences really, really matter. So I'd encourage you to just pause here for a moment and just think back. Maybe you're thinking about your child. Think back to their first two months of life in, in, in utero. Maybe you're thinking about yourself in this moment. Think back to what you know about your first two months um, in the world and the experiences you had and how they laid the foundation for the resilience of your stress response system. And that having unpredictable, extreme, and prolonged experiences of trauma, toxic stress, adverse childhood experiences leads to a oversensitized stress response system. So real briefly, I do want to touch on what even is trauma? What's trauma? What's toxic stress? What's adverse childhood experiences? This is a really a whole separate podcast episode. So just very briefly, I want to say that um, Dr. Porges, who is the theorist of the polyvagal theory, Dr. Porges says that trauma is something that disrupts our capacity to feel safe. That's it. Like that's his big, broad definition. It's just, it's just something that disrupts our capacity to feel safe. So obviously trauma can be things like abuse and neglect, abandonment, um, orphanage care, right? Like not having regular caregivers, losing caregivers. Trauma can be medical trauma. It can be uh, growing up in a pandemic. It can be loss. It could be divorce. It could be, there's so many different things that there's so many different experiences that could be experienced by somebody's nervous system as in fact trauma. And then Perry says toxic stress is stress that's extreme, unpredictable and prolonged, right? So I also want to take just a moment to give a little bit of attention to the trauma of not being seen and known, especially repeatedly. All of us have experiences of not being seen and known. And actually in the developing infant, right, in attachment, having experiences of not being seen and known are are painful but important. Um, The repair that comes after not being seen and known is really important in the development of secure attachment. But Having experiences of not being seen and known are crucial to the infants developing their own sense of self as separate from their caregiver, right? Like, I'm my own person. I'm not enmeshed with my caregiver. We're not the same person. And that happens because of misattunement. That happens because of not being seen and known. So 
I don't want to give the impression that people need to be seen and known 100% of the time. Otherwise, they're experiencing trauma. Nope. That's not it at all. When I talk about the trauma of not being seen and known, I'm talking about repeatedly, like being in the world as somebody who is regularly not seen and not known. And this, of course, can happen in excited experiences of abuse and neglect and kind of the things that are uh, maybe a little bit easier for us to identify. But the trauma of not being seen and known often happens for individuals who hold marginalized identities, right? Whether that be race, religion, gender, identity, sexual orientation, being differently abled or, or, or neurodiversity. Um, and that's, that is certainly not a, an all-inclusive list of marginalized identities, but being in the world in a body that is, that identifies as being a marginalized identity lends itself to repeated experiences of not being seen and known. And it's really, really important to, to recognize that as, as what it is as a trauma. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. I actually want to read one more quote from Dr. Perry's book that I've found really impactful in my in my own work. And he says, if you don't recognize the built-in biases in yourself and the structural biases in your systems, biases regarding race, gender, or sexual orientation, for example, you can't truly be trauma-informed. Marginalized people, excluded, minimized, shamed, are traumatized peoples because Humans are fundamentally relational creatures. To be excluded or dehumanized in an organization, community, society, or even family, that creates experiences of prolonged, uncontrollable stress that causes a sensitization to the developing stress response system. Marginalization is a fundamental trauma. Now, again, talking about trauma, toxic stress, what is trauma? That's a very, very big discussion. But it felt important to just put this little piece in here as we're talking about the developing stress response system because it is trauma that causes a disruption in the development of our stress response system and leads to the potential for 
nervous system vulnerabilities. So how do we know what impact that there has been on the stress response system? Again, whether you're thinking about your child or your own or, or your partners or somebody you know, like how do we know if there's been an impact on their developing stress response system? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in a relationship with somebody who has been, has a sensitized stress response system. Are you, you know, is this person make a lot of mountains out of molehills, right? Big, big, big reactions to what we could objectively look at as problems that aren't quite that big. Um, I think it's really important not to judge people's stress response and not label it as like an overreaction, but uh, because I believe their reaction always matches what their inner experience is. So I don't call that an overreaction, but I think we can um, accurately label things as, as a bit of a mismatch, right? The size of the stress versus the size of the stress response don't always match, right? And again, I'm I'm sure you can think of examples of What's happened in your day already today with your child where it seemed as though the size of their stress response didn't quite match the size of the actual stressor? Like, are you finding yourself feeling really whiplashed? Like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Right? Does your kid have poor frustration tolerance? And when things are hard, you know, when the when the sensation of frustration arises, is that get responded to with things like anger or aggression? Or, I mean, even poor impulse control is potentially about uh, having a sensitized stress response system. Not always, but it can be. Regardless of why the stress response system has become sensitized, right? Whether that be from trauma or toxic stress or adverse experiences or um, being neurodivergent in a world that isn't um, responsive to that neurodivergence. Uh, Or maybe we just have no idea what is led to this sensitized stress response system, right? The the path out, the the way of of building increasing resilience in that stress response system so it is less vulnerable is always the same. It's always about co-regulation, connection, presence, Lots and lots and lots of felt safety. Now, what that looks like practically is going to really vary based on your circumstances and and your child's circumstances and their history. What were their circumstances that led to the you know vulnerability in the nervous system? What some kids experience as safe, other kids don't. What some kids need to feel safe, that's not what you know different kids need. So. The actual interventions of, you know, how do we provide the co-regulation connection and felt safety that this child needs are really, really, really going to vary. This is exactly what we spend all our time talking about in the club. So a lot of times we're talking about things like how do we provide our kids with the scaffolding that they need in order to build the resilience in their stress response system so that they're titrating, they're getting experiences that are titrating the amount of stress that they're getting. And sometimes that can be frustrating. It can feel like, man, my, my 10-year-old should be able to navigate this amount of stress. My 15-year-old should be able to manage this amount of stress. But the reality is, is that they just can't. So how do we titrate their stress experiences? How do we provide them with, with the scaffolding, with the structure, with the co-regulation, the boundaries that they need 
in order for their stress response system to not get be continually flooded. Continually flooding a sensitized stress response system isn't going to strengthen it. It is going to just continue to like weaken and erode, erode it. The other thing we can look at is what are ways that we can strengthen the foundation of the brain, the 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 core regulatory networks in a way. If we can strengthen the foundation of the brain, we often increase resilience in that stress response system. So I did a series um back in late 2021, I think. I don't remember the dates of it, but I will find those episodes and I'll make sure they get linked up in the show notes so that you can find them easily. But I did a whole series on strengthening the foundation of the brain that again, really leaned into Dr. Perry's work and his, um, his, his research that shows us that rhythmic repetitive relational somatosensory experiences can help to strengthen that foundation of the brain. So I'll send you, I'll, or I'll put in the show notes, the links to those podcast episodes. And then we did a whole three month series in the club on how to strengthen the foundation of the brain. And so we really had the opportunity to dive in and look at you know, how do we how do we actually take this theory, right? What is that? What does rhythmic repetitive relational somatosensory experiences mean? And, and what do I do when my kid won't cooperate with any of them, right? Like all of this sounds good in theory until we invite our kids into connection with us and they reject all of it, right? So that's what one of the things we get to do in the club is take all of this kind of theory and make it make sense in real life. Our stress response system obviously then plays a huge role in our kids' behaviors and how we perceive those behaviors. And understanding that underneath these behaviors that you are overwhelmed by, rightfully overwhelmed by, right? Lying, stealing, aggression, shutting down, refusing to go to school, oppositional behavior. All these behaviors are exceptionally stressful to you. Understanding how our stress response system plays a role in those behaviors does give us the opportunity to change then how we kind of perceive those behaviors. I know that that in and of itself doesn't change how hard those behaviors are for you, but, you know, I kind of have to fall back on my saying that changing how we see people changes people. So understanding what's underneath the behavior and allowing that to shift our perception of our child and our behavior actually is an intervention. I know it doesn't feel like one, but I promise, promise, promise it isn't just an intervention. I actually think it might be the most important intervention, right? If we can shift our labels of our children away from words like dramatic, manipulative, overreacting, spoiled, or even bratty. Like if we can shift that language to my child has an extremely sensitized stress response system and the tiniest amount of stress, the tiniest amount of frustration, the tiniest amount of things aren't going perfectly the way they want them to go causes an enormous stress response. And in somebody who has a strong stress response system, little stressors 
are navigated and regulated through. But for people with a very vulnerable, sensitized stress response system, little stressors just bring on huge, full-blown watchdog and possum brain responses. So what I want you to do is think about these behaviors that are so stressful and they are so stressful. I know it, but think about them through the lens of the sensitized stress response system and see if even just that little bit of a reframe helps you, helps your stress response system. I know, I know we're not, we haven't solved any behavior problems here today, but Sometimes the thing that we want to focus on is ourselves. And what I have found is when we can really see what's underneath these behaviors, we oftentimes feel better. And that that matters. And that's, that's meaningful. As always, if you need more help, more help than what this podcast can give you can give you if you want the opportunity to actually be connected with me and my team and also with the hundreds of other parents who are walking this you know journey every single day and have better ideas than i do a lot of the times consider checking out what we offer over in the club it's a membership community it's a virtual experience that has a forum it has live events it has um on a huge on-demand video library. And so there is a lot of education that comes in the club. But what really is impactful about the club is the fact that we get to take that education and then make it make sense for our families, right? Talk about what you learned in, in the classes and, and brainstorm with each other and, you know, get you know, my, me and my team to, and, you know, for many of the families in the club, especially the real active ones, I really get to know these families and can really, um, you know, help make all of this theory make more sense and be more useful in, in your specific family. So just know that that resource is out there. If it feels like, oh, this is all really great information, but I'm just not sure how to apply it. That's exactly what the club is for. And then, the other thing the club is for is that it provides us as the grown-ups with the connection and co-regulation that we need so that our stress response system can strengthen, that our stress response system can be less sensitized, less vulnerable. So we're making fewer mountains out of molehills. We stay in our own owl brain when we're parenting our kids and can show up and be the parent that we want to be for these kids. All righty. Again, thank you so much. I'm crossing my fingers that this version of the podcast, this third time I've recorded this episode actually worked. So if you're hearing this, you can have a big sigh of relief for me that the third time's a charm and it finally worked. So thanks for being here with me. Thanks for your commitment to yourself. Thanks for your commitment to your kids. And I'm going to see you back here next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. 
If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.